What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 32 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from MikeSelsons.com, and my co-host who will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Now, in this week's episode, we have a ton of stuff to get to. We're going to get to a bunch of your guys' questions. We're also going to discuss some drum terminology. What do the words warm, bright, and fat actually mean to both Mike and myself? Our featured artist this time is truly an artist, and that is Mr. Josh Dion. And in our gear review section, I'm going to walk you through my experience with my new Ultimate Ears UE fours and ue11s and let you know the differences that i can hear in both so let's get started episode 32 does that mean that we've done 32 weeks of this because we've even skipped weeks so this is we're going deep oh you know we might have skipped a couple so i think how many yeah so it might be like 35 weeks in i don't even know when we started that's pretty cool man good lord pretty cool i know i know somebody somebody i can't remember who it was but somebody today they were having trouble figuring out their iphone or whatever and they they said something like so are you up to episode eight now and i was like what <laughs> i was like no we're at like episode 31 or 32 and they're like oh my gosh and, and then I, I thought like oh my gosh and i went back and i listened to some of the old ones and it's been it's been a good journey man so yeah. good stuff so i was i heard you guys are having like the greatest weather ever it's supposed to be like a 70 degree day there. yeah thanks for sending it over this way i think it's gonna be like 70 couple today my dog you know my dog's already panting they can't stand it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take yeah. it for a little walk and like, what is going on? Yeah, they they find that little spot of shade under a tree and just lay down right in the middle of the street. Yeah, I mean, I had yeah, snow buddy. in my yard up until like three days ago. So, hey, you sent me a picture. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy. It goes from like I have to wear Under Armour and and a wool coat to like I could wear a t shirt today. That's awesome. Whatever, man. That's awesome. East Coast man. <laughs> East Coast. Well, <laughs> hey, we're 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 we've got a week of rain here, so. Our rivers are full. Our lakes are full. Um, it's all stuff that we needed, so it's, it's good stuff. And then we'll we'll start getting our good weather coming up for sure. So Nestle so. can start robbing your reservoir again. Hey, don't don't. <laughs> why, why are you going to get all political? We're not going there. We're not. That's not what this podcast is about. I had to get one. I don't want to talk about. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Trump and stuff like that. I, this podcast is a vacation from reality. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The only things that matter on this podcast are gear, drummers, tone, <laughs> technique that we don't care about. Uh, re- by the way, I, I don't know if you saw, but like uh, apparently our students on Mike's Lessons Family listen because somebody on the Mike's Lessons Family Facebook page asked, like, "Hey, I really, I'm, I've never really paid attention to bass drum at all or my speed, but I really want to get into it. What type of drum shoes should I get?" And it was just like obliterated with posts <laughs> of our podcast. Like, just listen to this, and you'll never want drum shoes again. Wait a <laughs> so I feel terrible. He was serious. Uh, he wasn't joking. No, he's he's a older drummer. He's actually been to camp. Uh, he couldn't. He's one of the coolest cats ever. But when he came here, he was one of those guys. And I think a lot of people will relate with this. He has played his whole life, but he's never practiced a day in his life. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. He's never taken drums serious yeah. um, because he's always been able to play the gig. And no one's ever complained. You know, yep. He plays simple covers and he crushes them. So when he came here and we started working on technique and I would have him improvise and it was all falling apart. He's like, I've honestly never practiced drum set in the 40 years I've been playing. And I, you know, and I had to let him know, like, I understand that, and yeah. you need to kind of see things a little different. Even though you've played for forty years, you're still a beginner because you've never put any real effort into the craft. So now that he is, the whole world is open to him, and he's like, "What are these dip sticks and drum gloves oh, and drum yeah. shoes?" Yeah, and, yeah. and so, it, you know what I mean? It's like the guy that's been playing forever has never really gotten into that level that we've been in our whole lives. Yeah, so, yeah, um, I can the depth. 
I see so that. Yeah, uh, so we <laughs> say I see that with my dad. He started taking up the guitar. I mean, he's been okay. playing guitar forever. Ever since he you know, got out of the service, he brought back an acoustic guitar and he's been playing it. But just you know, just playing just open chords, nothing special. He decided he wanted to like learn the blues, and he got an electric guitar. And okay. Every time I go home, he's got like more gear. And he's got microphones and he's got effects pedals. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Can you play your blue scales yet? Like, what? Are yeah, you doing? don't like that. Plug it into your Fender Twin and you are done. Turn the reverb knob up if you want, yeah. but that's it. I mean, I love it. Stop though. with your I love to fuzz box. It. It's like wow, man. You're, oh, that's you're cool, excited. man. And he's like buying online lessons from people and stuff. It's crazy. Oh, that's really cool, man. <laughs> no, it's it's a yeah. It is a it, it's a huge world that you can choose to ignore or you can open yourself up to it. So the good thing was he he really took one line from your recommendation, which was how about I just wear comfortable shoes in life, right? You know, and right. that's. I think that's kind of where you and I have ended up. It's like I just wear shoes, yeah. and then I play drum set in those shoes. Yeah, so. I don't have a choice. Oh, I got right. the old fat feet. They got to be comfortable shoes. <laughs> what, what do you? Uh, what size shoes do you go? Twelve, but sometimes that's a little tight. Okay, but I'm, I'm an eleven and a half. Um, so I'm a I'm a short guy. I'm only five eleven, but I have eleven and a half. Yeah, so. it's more the like the the. The width, like I just can't wear tight like dress shoes. Just for oh, okay, so you, know, like, you have like big ass Hobbit feet. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not as hairy, hopefully, but you got some Hobbit feet. You know, There's nothing wrong with that, Frodo. Loaves of bread. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little Lembus bread. Um, okay, so we have a grip load of listener questions. Those are pouring in by the bucket load. So let's get into them right away. All right. So I'm in no particular order. I'm just going with the most. Actually, I think I'm with the most recent one backwards, but this came in from Kevin, uh, and he wants to know, first of all, he thanks us for making the podcast. He's an adult hobbyist beginner, so it really helps um, listening to the show. Um, He wants to know about playing along to charts. So he currently plays with a junior brass band, and the scores that he's given can be very varied from like a full-on orchestral style with everything notated uh, to some that assume that you have like a hundred drums in your kit, um, so he spends a lot of time rewriting them to make them easier and more drum set friendly. Um, he also records his rehearsals so he can practice to the, you know, practice with the ensemble when he gets home. Um, so he wants to know: Do we have any advice on how to learn new pieces that only supply partial scores, not the full-on notated score? Uh, wow! Did you say he's a beginning drummer? That's what it says. He says uh, he's a hobbyist, adult hobbyist, oh, hobbyist. beginner. Okay, and he's he's playing wow. in a brass band. That's some that's that's some deep stuff for like your kind of weekend gig. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I that's I can awesome. relate because I've I came up reading music from the very beginning. So my I don't really know why. I don't think anyone ever told me this from from very early on. I just assumed that a drum piece of drum music was just uh, suggestions. So you have to learn how to interpret it. You have to basically, what I've always done, whether I'm doing musical theater or playing with uh, brass bands or a jazz band, is I just scan it to see what the basic groove is, the basic pattern that I need to play. And sometimes it'll say at the beginning, like two feel or shuffle or whatever. And I just assume that I'm going to play that 99% of the time. And I just look for any, any stops, any rests, any accents where I clearly need to stop playing. I make sure I hit those, and if there's any special rhythms that it looks like I need to accent, I'll make sure I hit those. Anything else that's notated, drum fills, minor variations of the part, I 
ultimately ignore it. So the oh, first time through completely. with the band, I just try to keep it as simple as possible, making sure I'm getting all the you know, hitting all the starts and stops, playing the basic groove. And the more you rehearse, the more you're going to hear little things that you can do differently. But in general, I would say use what's there as just a rough, rough guideline. There's no reason to try to play it note for note. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, if you're getting partials, then a great idea. And I, I did this. I was in a swing band called the Viper Six right when I when I quit touring, I moved to a town called San Luis Obispo, and the only gig I could get that made any money was a swing gig because swing was big at the time. And uh, when they would give me partial charts, the first thing I would do is go over to the you know the, the lead trumpet player and just ask for his chart, and I would find all of his hits and stabs that I thought were really important that weren't showing up on my chart. And then, like you said, the other thing, you know, when it comes to stops, I mean, that's really what you're looking for. If you have the basic groove of the chart, you just need to know when to stop and and where to kind of accent different things. But one thing is when you're playing through it for the first time, try not to chase the things that you just missed. If you're trying to hit the hits that have already happened, you've already missed them. Yeah. So you don't have to, like, you know, do call and response with them. And if the whole band stops on the downbeat of one but you're still playing – just fill through the stop. You know, don't don't yeah. stop like a, a beat and a half later because then it's just it looks bad. So I think Mike's idea is kind of the best that it doesn't matter what musical situation you're in. Pretty much any time you play a song for the first time, play it as simple as possible so that your ears are open and you're not too focused on the drumming itself, and that'll really help out. But I, I think it's just great that you even have a gig that requires reading because you're always hearing so many drum educators talk about like oh you're, you're really never going to need to read on the gig but in some of those gigs you kind of do yeah know? it's been and then that also oh sorry yeah and that also opens you up for gigs that other people couldn't do if they couldn't read i mean then you can get into theater gigs uh where you're reading you know 10 page charts and they are very well notated out so yep. that's that's awesome yeah cool so thanks kevin let's move on we've got this one comes from mark um he's saying oh this is definitely more for you Awesome podcast. Keep up the great work. I was wondering if you guys could discuss symbol stacks. What do you use personally? Ah. Do you use pre-configured? Do you build your own? What have you found to be a nice addition? Uh, he's referencing Antonio Sanchez, Robert Sputt-Seawright, Larnell Lewis, and guys who use these stacks a lot. I will say that I've used a stacker once in the past 15 years, and it was for a band that was kind of sounding like missing persons, kind of that new wave punky electronic okay. stuff so i needed something sure. to sound like electronic bullwhip so i just took a 20 inch chinese symbol and stacked it inverted on top of a 20 inch thin ride and that was perfect there you go terry bozio vibe. that's the yeah that's the weckle stack man that's well it. I, I think stacking else. i think stacking is something that people definitely misunderstand thinking they can stack any two symbols and it, it actually physically won't work so most of the stacks that you see that you recognize are when a smaller symbol is on top of a bigger symbol because you can visually see it. My stack that's all the way to the right of my kit, most people think it's just a cracked symbol because they don't see that I have a smaller symbol underneath. So when you stack a bigger symbol on top, I would say in most symbol companies' lineup, they probably only have a handful of symbols that will actually stack because let's say you have an 18-inch crash symbol and you're going to stack a 16 on top of it. It makes sense that it'll fit. The problem is the bell of the 16 is smaller than the bell of the 18, so it actually won't fit and it never makes a seal and it never stacks properly. It's, it's, there's 
always a gap of space. So then you think, okay, well, no problem. I'll put the 16 underneath the 18. Well, if the 16 is bowed more than the 18 and bent downwards, it won't seal with the 18. So it's actually very rare that two symbols stack properly. That's why they have pre-configured stacks. They've actually made the bell and bent the symbol in the way that it, it really seals with the symbol underneath it or above it. So it's not quite as easy as you would think to stack two symbols. Uh, the most important thing is just understanding that it's it's pretty simple. If you want a very staccato, very high-pitched stack, you're going to go with maybe a 14 and a 12 or, or a 14 and a 13. And then you just tighten the wing nut down, and it gets shorter and shorter the tighter that you um, push down on it. And then if you want a really deep stack, like my stack is a 20-inch Byzance uh, vintage crash and underneath it I have an 18 inch Byzance Jazz extra thin crash and it is the most buttery stack ever. It is like the opposite of the Gent sound, the, the Matt Halpern, Matt Garska sound. It's very buttery. It's very actually it's very Dave Weckl back to basics video. Uh-huh. Um, his 90 stack sound which that was the first time I ever heard a stack and it was just the most it was a china that just shut up right away. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of I, – I, I ended up going for a very musical-sounding stack um, compared to something that's very short and staccato. So so I, I would say just don't be frustrated when you are stacking symbols and they're not working. It actually is quite rare that two symbols will stack properly. Unless you do the Zach Hill approach and just take every broken piece of metal you can find and stack it up and – just whatever happens. Nothing happens. wrong with that. <laughs> I can tell you this. I'm, I'm working on something with Meinl right now that hopefully will be around at NAM next year that will fix all of this for everyone. So all right, just leave it at that. All right. <laughs> just take that. Little teaser. <laughs> all right, next. <laughs> okay, this one comes from Garrett, who's from my home state of Maryland. He wants to know, uh, what are our thoughts on drum kit size? It seems that most people start with a five-piece kit, then go through the big kit phase and eventually downsize. Do you think there is an ideal size in regards to playing, uh, removing the consideration of packing and travel? So not not talking about portability. Do we think there's an ideal size of drum set? He's curious also about our thoughts on two rack toms versus two floor toms for the five-piece setup. Interesting question. No, very, very interesting. And I think he's right about... You know, I don't know about you, buddy, but I definitely went from I got my first drum set, and the first thing I wanted to do was add to it. I didn't want to get a better one; I yeah. just wanted to make more, more, more. So, what what was your journey like, and what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I think we most of us start with a five piece kit because that's what was available. That's what they companies right. sold. Um, that's what the stores sold our parents. Yeah, so you get two rack toms, <laughs> a floor toms, snare drum, and a bass drum, and that's your drum set. And that that's and so it's kind of hard to. I don't know. Maybe today it's you have a lot more options. You can start out with right. a really good four-piece kit or a really good double bass kit, uh, but there just wasn't. I mean, there were three colors, and there was one setup for a beginning drum kit. It was black, <laughs> yeah. red, or white, and you got a 12, 13, 16, 22, and a 6.5 by 14-inch steel. And it was, yeah, and it was always wine red. <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I, I didn't have wine red as an option when I remembered. Really? Yeah, when I... Got my you had red, red. It was cherry red, Ferrari red, whatever the heck they <laughs> yeah, call it. <buddy. laughs> yeah, man. So uh, I think we all start there. And then, of course, you don't want to yeah. take pieces away from your kit because that's, no. that's your drum set. So you just want to add to it. Um, I think the first thing I added was a 10-inch tom. So I took the 13 and actually put it down where the floor tom position would be. So I, I went straight from the five-piece setup to the Vinnie Cayuta, Dave Weckl, Steve Gadd yep. setup with a 10, 12. I pretended the 13 was a 14, and then the 16. Yep. 
yeah. did that for a long time. I did time. the same thing. Um, and then it wasn't until, for me, it wasn't until I got into playing a lot of jazz music that the four-piece kit just became it. I would never use anything more than that. I don't think I have unless unless it's just a, some music that calls for a lot of melodic kind of tom stuff. I sure. think you can, get, you can get everything you need out of a rack tom and a floor tom of whatever size you choose. Uh, you know, in most, most situations, sometimes I've, I mean, I've done tours with no toms at all. Just depends yeah. on what the music calls for. So saying that there's an ideal size, there's an ideal size for every gig, and it's the minimum amount of gear that you need to get the gig done. I think absolutely, and it's what you're hearing in your head, you know, musically. I did the same thing as you, except for I didn't. Um, Jugs Percussion did not offer a 10 inch tom. Jugs, yeah, Jugs, <laughs> yeah. It literally said Jugs on my bass drum head. Like in a huge bold print, J U G G S, jugs. Okay, I wonder what country um, that was made in. Definitely not yeah. the United States. <laughs> no, it was not. They had no. They were like, "What jugs drums?" <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So I had a jugs uh, silver. Like it wasn't even silver sparkle, just random metallic wrap. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't offer a ten, so I just hacksawed off the eight and the twelve of my rototoms, and I just put the 10 there awesome. and then I moved the 13 down to the floor. So did the same type of thing. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I think we all kind of go through that. Eventually for me, the setup became just like you said, the minimal that I could get away with. Uh, if I was gigging, I was always asking what's the load in like, that's going to determine how much stuff I'm bringing. Yeah. But the most important thing for me, what, what turned me away from a two toms up drummer into a one tom up drummer was the position of the ride symbol. Mm-hmm. The more that I played the ride, the more I needed it to be where that second tom would be so that my elbow could kind of stay at my side and not wear out my shoulder by reaching over to the right where I had to like move the ride symbol to the right to make room for the second tom. So, um, And then you'll notice a lot of fusion guys were doing, the they would actually put the 10, they put the 12 like it was a four-piece kit, and then they'd put the 10 to the left of that rather than splitting yeah. the toms with the bass drum so their ride symbol could be in that position. You ever do that? So was, what's you ever that? try that setup? Yeah, definitely. definitely. How does it feel? Um, it feels like it throws the hi-hat too far away. It does. It does that. And the other thing for me was just that the distance in pitch between a 10 and a 12 wasn't enough for me to warrant having two toms up there, honestly. Yeah. Um, it just... It, I don't know, like, I guess it's just the way that I play drums, and it's probably the drummers that I grew up kind of falling in love with, but I don't hear a lot of in-between pitches. I hear a high tom and a low tom when I sing drums in my head, yeah. but I, I don't hear three toms or four toms. So it just never was anything that had to be done. Um, and it also made me, it had to, like, there was a little guilt. Like, if I wasn't using both toms, I just would I would shove them into fills where they just didn't need to be there. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of why I got rid of splash symbols in China's was there was this thing like God I haven't hit that in a while and it was you know 120 bucks I better hit it so yeah. I just kind of eliminated it. So I've there done you go. the uh, the 10 13 16 which oh, okay actually worked really well it was when I did yeah a, that makes a little more sense like a Josh Freese kind of sound and Freese Josh Freese my enunciation has been bad Josh Freese. <laughs> He did the 10, 13, 16 with a perfect circle. Oh, okay. And yeah. That yeah. works really yeah. well. That's, that's, oh, the, by the way, speaking of your drum influences, your last one on Harvey Mason. Oh, right, right. Holy crap, bro. I'm, I was really proud to like be your friend. I was like, that, you're a kick ass <laughs> drummer. That was really good, honestly. Thank you. Well, I mean, that, that recording, if you haven't heard it, is a trio with no drums. It's Christian McBride, Mark Whitfield, and Nicholas Payton. So it's trumpet, guitar, and bass. 
Wait, so that was only you playing on there that? There's no drums on that track. There's no drums on that record. Oh, my God. So you should definitely check that it. I fantastic. saw them tour. The reason I picked that track was I saw them tour when I was in college, and it was I was hesitant to go because it's like there's no drummer. Where's Brian Blade? Where's Greg Hutchinson? So I was like, I don't know right. if I want to go see a trio without drums, but Christian McBride has a drummer's pocket, man. He is a freight right. train. Yeah, so they just yeah. they just absolutely blew me away, and his command of the bass and and his his time you can he's one of the few upright bass players for me that you can actually hear every note he plays. It doesn't just sound like a wall of low end, you know. Right. Like his articulation yeah, yeah. is really clear, and his time is just insane. So that record has Chameleon on it. It's a it's called Finger Painting by Christian McBride, Mark Whitfield, and Nicholas Payton. So it's all Herbie Hancock songs. So Chameleon's wow. on it and, and some more like straight ahead jazz tunes of his. So great play along practice. You get to great play along. You yeah, pretend you're in a band with one of the best bass players of all time. So it's kind of hard wow. not to make it feel good when he's driving the truck. I don't know, man. You you kind of killed it. I was really really impressed. I was really impressed. So thanks, uh, everybody. If you guys aren't already following Mike on Instagram and on Facebook, you should because he puts up a lot of really cool drumming stuff. And I, I always really find it great whether it be a company that i'm endorsed by or a company like modern drummer it's nice to know that the people at modern drummer actually play this instrument and play it really well and i feel the same when i see chris brady from aquarium play drums and he yeah. literally took lessons <clears throat> with bissonette and knows every vinnie lick ever right. <laughs> and and transcribes them it's like wow that's really cool man you're not just like some random guy that ended up being the a and r of aquarium drum heads you actually are a serious player you're I mean, I hate to say it, but he's damn near better than 80% of the roster. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah well, I did. we're all part of the same same quest, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's it's so cool because if I'm in need of a different sound, I love the fact that I can call Chris, you know, we're kind of getting off topic, but I do love being able to call him and say, "Hey, I've got this thing. It's kind of like an early Prince gig. What what heads should I use?" And I know that he's not going to just kind of give me some company line he actually knows what the hell i'm talking about yeah. he can reference the style in his head and the same thing with with you guys you know it's just great that you guys play drums and i get to see you know videos of different people from md playing all the time so it's good stuff cool. Thank you. do we have time for one more yeah let's see what we got so that was from garrett in annapolis um okay this is this is another one probably more for you but i can comment on the second part this is from alan um uh, he wants to. He's looking into buying a 20-inch vintage Pure Ride, a Minel okay. Pure Ride. Yep. He's wondering if we could talk about any possible issues with miking a heavy dark symbol like this. Sure. Uh, well, I'll talk about the symbol, and then you can talk about the okay, miking part perfect. of it. Perfect. So, the the vintage Pure Ride. It's definitely something where the looks are a little bit deceiving. It looks like it's going to be. A very dark, very dry symbol, and it is. But it's also, I guess, the one thing that it, you can't see just from the looks is it's a very thick symbol. So there's so much stick articulation, um, no crashability whatsoever. There's no lathing at all. So you can't, if you crash on it, it's just going to have this like dark gong sound. Um, but the stick articulation is kind of out of this world. So if you're really looking to make sure that whatever you're recording, you hear every single nuance of the stick hit, it's a great symbol. If you want a little bit of like ambiguity in in this in the stick definition, I would definitely recommend checking out the 20 or the 22 Vintage Pure Light Ride. It's just it's same ride, it's just a little thinner, so it's going to have a little more give to it. I honestly think it's a more musical symbol, but it really just it really it's musical is depending on the situation itself. So I would I think they're both fantastic symbols. 
And the other thing that's great about them is there's really nothing in Meinl's lineup that is similar. So if you like that sound, you don't have to worry, should you be looking at Benny's Sand Ride or my Transition Ride or even maybe the uh, – what is it? The They have a dark uh, – Trying to think, raw bell ride. Oh yeah, um, you know. So I, you don't have to worry about it. This, these things really do live on their own, and they're pretty amazing. But at the same time, it's it's just really, really deep stick articulation. Now, do you actually? I mean, this actually brings up a great point. Do you even put a mic on your ride? That was going to be the first thing I say. Is the last thing you should be worried about doing is mic in a ride symbol. Um, there we go. Yes, there are people that do it, and a lot of a lot of you know major records they do that because the mix gets so dense and the ride symbol needs to cut through. But for general practice, especially if you're just talking about live, or maybe you're just recording at home, uh, as soon as you put a microphone on the ride symbol, it's going to pick up all that all the weird stuff that you only hear if you put your ear right next to it. All the hum, all the constant just sustain, the microphone is going to pick that up, and it's just not going to sound very good. So. In general, get get at least three feet above that sucker and treat it more like an yeah. overhead. Uh, that way it's picking up more of the articulation and just the natural sustain, not that low-end rumble that you can't you can't hear it once you get more than a foot away from the cymbal. Uh, yeah. That and then – so basically I would say a pair of overheads is more than enough to, micro- to amplify the, all the cymbals. Especially on a ride like that that has so much stick articulation. Yeah, it'll, it'll jump through. I mean if you're planning like – super dense heavy metal or something and you're trying to record like a, a real record to put out and some songs really rely on the ride symbol you might have to get a microphone on it but i would say do that as a last resort adjust your playing yeah. you can actually play it a little bit louder and it'll be louder in the overheads um yeah that also brings up a, a topic of symbol selection live versus recording um which I think all of us should be aware of. Like the symbols you take in the studio should not necessarily be the symbols that you take on the gig when you have to wail and cut through Marshall stacks and stuff. So in general, I record with the thinnest symbol possible that still gives me the articulation that I need. And I'm talking sometimes paper thin. Like I'll use crash symbols as hi-hats just to get them thinner, the thinnest possible sound. My crashes are paper thin. Even on when I'm recording modern rock, I'm using K Constantinobles most of the time. Uh, the ride symbol on that same record was a K Custom Dark, you know, which is it's sort of a medium ride, but it's it's thin for like a hard rock band. So, uh, it, so in general, when you're recording, you don't want to use something super heavy and pingy. I would say something darker, something thinner, uh, the thinnest you can get that will still give you the articulation you need. And I kind of do that live, too. I mean, I'm I'm not one to break cymbals. I'm not one to pummel the cymbals into submission. So I just like the sound of thinner cymbals. Once you get into a medium-weight cymbal, they kind of die out too fast. You hit them, they explode, and they kind of just disappear. And I I like a little bit of a a broader wash. So I use thinner stuff for everything. If I'm hitting as hard as possible, if I'm hitting as soft as possible. Yeah, I mean, just from growing up in the... Rage Against the Corn Tones era. Right. Really, the 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 thicker symbols just came from a, a fact that at some point in the practice space and the gig, my band kept getting bigger gear. And you know, I mean, if you look at somebody like uh, Eloy Casagrande, he can play any Pisces he wants, and he plays the Rudes. Hey, Jack. Yeah. Sorry, my my dog wants to. He wants to be part of the podcast. Your son Still, yeah. wants to say hello. Yeah. Sorry, my son. <laughs> hi, hi, sweetheart. You want to say hi to Mr. Dawson? <laughs> 
Um, so anyways, um, you know, Eloy is playing the, the Peisty Roods just because Sepulchre is so loud. It's the only way he can cut through the mix. Yeah. But even still, like you said, it's it's this fast explosion and then it is gone. So I think uh, you'll be in good shape, but I really wouldn't worry about miking that cymbal. I can tell you this, even when you see those pictures of the big studio recordings, pretty much three of those mics are kind of like safety mics. So the, the ride mic that you're seeing... It's probably not being used even a little bit. It's just there in case they needed it. The bottom snare mic, same thing. Right. The hi hat mic, same thing. Yep. Um, it's just in case they were in the mix and just and the hi hats weren't cutting, then they have it there. So I wouldn't worry about that at all. All right, yep. well, good stuff. Let's talk about a little bit of drum terminology because this stuff, especially when you're new to drums, can be confusing. You hear these ambiguous terms and you know the words from. <laughs> from the English language, but you don't know how they relate to drums. So the first one we want to talk about is the word warm. I want to talk about how that relates to drums and cymbals. So talking about drums, when you when you hear the word warm, does that fit all drums for you, like kick, snare, toms, or is it actually relegated to a specific set, like the, the toms only or the, the kick drum? I think any drum can sound warm or bright depending on tuning and head choice uh, Okay. So and muffling. So you can take, so for instance, a six and a half by fourteen steel snare drum. Let's go with a cast, like a heavy cast steel snare drum. That naturally, that sucker is going to have a lot of high end frequencies. Right. So if you put a clear single ply head on that thing and <laughs> and tune it up as high as it'll go, that's going to be the brightest sound you can possibly get out of a snare drum. To reiterate, that is not warm. <laughs> that is not warm. That's going to be bright. And what would be the opposite of actually warm? I guess bright is the opposite of warm. Yeah, sonically. Yeah. yeah, so that'll be the brightest kind of like most high-end sound. So you can turn that into a warm sound by putting a Evans hydraulic or a Remo pinstripe or a comparable like a, a Aquarian, one of those modern vintage. If you put a thick coated head on yeah. there, that's going to tamp down all those, not all of them, but a lot of those high-end overtones, which is going to make it sound like it has a lower tone, lower overtones equal warmth for me so it's like taking the tone knob on on an old radio that just goes from treble to bass so if you take it all the way to the treble that's bright take it all the way to the bass that's warm there you go there you go you know one thing you can do too if you want to experiment at home and teaching yourself the difference between bright and warm is take any stick that's at least as big as a 5a if not a little bit bigger play your ride cymbal with the front of the you know with the tip That'll be bright. Now turn that same stick around and play it with the butt end of the stick, and that'll be warm. Mm. And you can do that with your toms as well. And I remember Benny Greb um, at one point, uh, I had a bunch of just random sticks here. And he was like, oh, I like the way this feels, but I couldn't play with it. And I was like, well, I don't understand. How could you like how something feels and then not play with it? And he's like, it wouldn't give me a a warm and fat enough sound Uh. because it's not a heavy enough stick. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have a big enough tip. And so, and then, you know, when you think about Benny, he always has this fat, fat, warm sound. And, um, no matter what, even when he's playing on very bright cymbals, but he's got, you know, his, his signature stick is very similar to, it's kind of like an enhanced five B and it's hickory. So it's a thick fat stick. So yeah, I mean, that's one of the easiest things you can do is just play on your ride cymbal. Then flip the stick around, and with the tip, it'll be bright, and with the with the butt end of the stick, it'll be warm. Yep. Um, now, what about fat? Do you see fat as being part of warmth? Hmm. I think you can have a bright fat sound. Um, if you said turn this 
steel snare drum into a fat sound, the first thing I would do would be muffle it. I would okay. put some. I would like start out with extreme muffling. Maybe put a t-shirt over it, or put like a tape some tissues on it, and tune it tune it kind of low. That's right. going to sound fatter to me because it's it's punchier. I, I kind of equate fatness with punch, which means more of a, I do a low end kind of emphasis. But you can still make it bright by using like a again if you if you use a microphone that's like a, a condenser mic, it's going to capture more of the stick. Right attack so that that still gives you brightness but it's fat so yeah fat to me has a lot of attack um but it's in a lower pitch but i mean i think too what's funny with fat is fat also pushes us into the actual technique and the playing jack it's not gonna happen (laughs) just wants a treat i love you son i know hey don't say that word what the hell's wrong with you you think he doesn't know English? He's my son. It's a bone. He knows what that word. Bones. Stop it. <laughs> Spell it out. My God. Do you not have children? Uh, I know. Actually, you don't have children, but no, you got to spell I, it if out. If I say bones in front of Remy, he goes nuts. Yeah. So, sorry, Jack. You got to go lay down, pal. Uh, so, anyways, st- dude, stop. He's like pulling on my in ears now. Okay. So, I think that, you know, fat can have to do a little bit with the playability because I think of Steve Jordan playing on a 18 inch kick with a cranked up snare, but it does have wood hoops, but his beats are fat, you know, because they're not note dense. I don't think of Marco Miniman's playing as fat because it's so note dense and it's fantastic. But, um, but then I, I hear Steve Jordan play on a high bop kit and it's still fat. So I think it's really how you play the instrument. You know, I think about if I wanted to play 13 inch hi hats and make them fat, I would play like all the about halfway down on my drumstick. Yeah, right, right on the edge, and I would make those thirteens fat, I've, and I would lay off the bass drum, you know. And so I've got a, uh, um, a Steve Jordan actual uh, experience about that. Um, oh, really? Yeah, because I did his cover story. I don't know, five years ago, so ago. Okay. So basically, I got together with him in a studio for the photo shoot, and he just played drums for like ninety minutes straight while we did the <laughs> photos. It was amazing. At one point, I went over to the piano and just kind of started noodling around with him. Shut yeah, up. it was super crazy because he was doing like oh, an Elvin so Jones cool. thing. So I started playing like McCoy Tyner style, like block chords and stuff. It was super cool. Oh, my God, what an experience. Yeah. So then, you know, afterwards, we're still just before we do the official interview, we're just kind of talking. And, and I was talking about the drum sound because he had that snare drum cranked, like beyond to the point where I would ever think anyone should ever tune a drum. Cranked. <laughs> like it made my ears like explode when, when I hit it because I did like the first right. the lighting test before he got there. Okay. And I hit that snare drum. I was like, oh my God, that's the brightest sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. Of course, when he sits down, it's like, it's the, mo- it's the most amazing, gorgeous snare drum sound I've ever heard. Ever. So I asked him, I was like, you know, everyone's, you know, how do you get your snare? Everyone identifies you as having like this snare drum sound. Like, how do you doing that with the drum? What are you tuning? And he looks to me, he goes, maybe it's not the snare drum, it's how I'm playing the snare drum. So then he does, he shows right. me an example. because if I want that bright pingy sound, he's holding the stick traditional grip. He starts hitting it like off center by about two or three inches. And there's right. that sound that when and you, there's all those overtones, yeah, that kind and, of bright pingy Steve Jordan snare drum sound. He goes, but if I wanted to hit you a little harder, he flips it over to the butt end and he starts smacking it dead center. And you could yeah. hear it night as day on a drum that I thought had one sound and it was just choked and bad. Like right. he was able to make it sound fat. So it's how you hit the drums. Oh, totally. 
And that's and that's what I was you know saying is I think when with warm and bright that is a sonic thing to me. But once we move into the word fat, now I'm thinking about the sonic nature combined with the playing and with the style of the drummer playing yeah. it. So. You know what's funny is we never we never use the word thin when we reference a good sound. <laughs> Man, <laughs> they sounded so thin tonight. It was killer. Man, oh, your groove was so a, thin. <laughs> oh man. It was just lacking of anything of substance. Ah, oh, man. You've really you yeah, music school paid nice off. Skinny pocket. Way dude. to go. <laughs> skinny pocket. <laughs> man. That was like women's jeans pocket. That was that was crazy, man. Uh, Don't mess around with that deep pocket. <laughs> All right, well good. Well, uh Guys, for the listeners at home, guys and gals, we will definitely uh, do more of this kind of stuff. We'll bring you some drum terminology and just kind of help you understand what we say when we just start throwing out terms like warm, bright, and fat. All right, so let's move on to our featured artist. Featured artist this week is a guy that I got to play uh, a festival with in Spain. We did the Tam Tam Drum Festival together. And when I saw the name on the poster, I didn't think anything of it or on the flyer. You know, they send you the flyer like three months before you're going to do the festival just so that you can help promote it. And I saw the names Wolfgang Hafner, who I was very excited to meet and play with. Uh, one of my friends, Russ Miller, who's also one of my drum idols. And then one of the drum gods, uh, Dennis Chambers. So when I saw the name Josh Dion on the poster, it really didn't register at all. And it wasn't until I was talking to my buddy Tim Metz who went to William Patterson uh, with Josh and at the same time as Mark Juliana. And I said, yeah, it's uh, Wolfgang Hafner, Dennis Chambers, some guy Josh Dion. And he's like, yo, Josh is the truth. And I was like, what? Who? He's like, oh, trust me. He's And I and I was thinking, I don't know why, in my head I'm thinking William Patterson, jazz school, yeah. Mark Juliana. Like this guy's going to be a full out, you know, Greg Hutchinson type. Yeah. That's what I was thinking in my head. And no one ever told me anything other than, oh, this dude's the real deal. So even when I got to Spain, I was still thinking Greg Hutchinson, uh, Brian Blade. And then I met him, and he was so incredibly kind. And, and Mark Giuliano said the same thing about him as well. And then so I, I, I met him. I said, are you Josh? You know, And he's just got this, like, he's just the happiest, sweetest guy ever. And he's got this huge aura about him. And uh, he goes, yeah, I'm Josh. And I said, oh, man, I just want to let you know Tim Metz and uh, Mark Juliana says, say hello. And he gave me like the biggest bear hug you could possibly <laughs> imagine. And he's just shaking me with both hands on my shoulders. He's like, you got to tell them I said hello. How are they doing? And he like really – I mean he was probably about seven minutes away from performing. And he was really interested on what's going on in Tim's and Mark's lives right now. And, and so we talked for a while. And then he went out. And I still at this time have no clue what this guy does. I just – I'm like, well, it's – I, I thought it was odd. It was about 140 degrees in uh, Sevilla, Spain, and he was wearing uh, – he's in full jersey gear, winter gear. Yeah. Like he's got a suit jacket on. <laughs> he's got a scarf on and and not a not a bead of sweat. It just couldn't have been cooler, you know. So anyways, he went out and played, and I think I was supposed – I think I went on like maybe right after him or maybe one after him. But I know that I had sticks in my hand. I was kind of warming up, so I wasn't at first paying attention. I was just backstage kind of warming up. And I, and I had to literally just decide, okay, I'm just choosing not to warm up. I have to watch this. And so I got to watch Josh Dion perform. And if you haven't seen him yet, if you haven't seen the video on my Facebook page, he sings as soulful as any blues singer you could ever imagine. Yeah. He plays drums with pure artistry. No, he's not like obsessed with technique, um, even though his technique's fantastic. But and then you, it, it kind of shocks you every once in a while. He drops a little drum sauce on you, and the dude can literally play. Yeah. And then 
he's playing the keyboards with his right hand um, the whole time, keeping the music going. So, I, I mean, I can't say enough great things about Josh. You definitely, guys, check him out. Check out his band, Paris Monster, for sure. So you were telling me um, earlier about when you moved to Jersey, Josh was one of the cats on the scene that you kind of should know about. Yeah, he was kind of the, the, the guy to keep an eye on. He had his own band, the Josh Dion band at the time. Okay. That was uh, He's kind of morphed more into to a more creative experimental thing and I, I think back then it was kind of more of a singer songwriter vibe so he was he was just playing drums normal and singing with with okay. a band with guitar bass uh, maybe keyboards kind of like a gavin the girl kind of a thing okay uh, but he was kind of the guy everyone was talking about about being you know he's going to be the next best thing and, and he just he just kept working i think he did i think he might have actually did some touring with gavin the girl and some other like fusion stuff as a drummer Okay, um, so he definitely was known as a drummer, but when you hear the guy sing, it's like he should just be a singer. Like this guy's, I mean, he's got yeah. it. He's got the gift of of vocal chops for sure. It's it's unbelievable, and I mean it, the range is silly because he'll be singing and you think like, wow, this is really good for. In at first you're thinking, wow, this is really good for a drummer, and then he kind of hits some vocal chops and you think like, oh. Okay, wait. So you're a professional singer that happens to be really good at the drums, yeah. but then he's playing keys with the other hand and he's actually killing it. And you're like, wait, how does one man possess all this talent? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is unfair. Are you telling me you can break dance too? Yeah. Come on, and it, I don't have time for this. And he's he's a good study, similar to like Levon Helm or um, shoot, I can't remember his name. The drummer from Rare Earth. They were you know drummer singers. If you analyze uh-huh. the way they play the drums, it is it's almost always so perfectly in service of the music. But totally. that's not to say they just play beats the whole time. Like like you said, Josh will throw in some stuff that's slick. But Bro, he hit this one kick thing that was like a five stroke roll on the single kick while singing like this crazy, you know, high note and I it was like, Whoa. It, it was just like you you had that the whole time? Yeah. Uh, he's got some oh. yeah, he's got some chops in his back pocket. And it's summer with like Levon Helm with the band, he's singing these gorgeous melodies and but if you listen to the drummies, it's slinky. And he's doing yeah. these. He's kind of not playing just one beat the whole time. It kind of evolves. And same thing with the rare earth guy. Like his patterns just fit right with. Like you can tell he's focusing on delivering the vocal, and then the drum mm-hmm. just kind of flows out of it. And I think Josh does that too, but with just a little bit more facility. So he can right. throw in some drum stuff. You're like, whoa! I never would have thought to do that. And I'm I'm just playing the drums, and he's singing over top of it as well. So he's he's really great. His new project I really dig. Paris Monster. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, guys, the newest um, – he has two new singles that came out in 2015 and 2016 under the uh, band name Paris Monster. But you can also get his EP, which has like five tracks on it, and um, it's called It Once Had Been Kind. That came out in 2013. And then, like I said, there's some new stuff too from 2015, 2016. And then just you know, find him on social media – Adam, check him out. Josh Dion, it's D I O N. He's absolutely incredible, and it's always a a real treat for myself or Mike when somebody's personality lives up to and surpasses their talent. Because I think in society we kind of we kind of give people a break if they're super if they're Michael Jordan at something. We kind of say, well, he's a jerk, but he is yeah. Michael Jordan. And I'm not saying that about Michael Jordan. I'm just saying talent gives people a little leeway and josh has all the talent in the world and he's the sweetest most humble cat i've i've come across in a long time so check him out for sure all right so i have a question how are we going to do gear review without any candy like 
I'm going to give this review on Ultimate Ears UE4s and UE11s, but we can't let anyone hear what the hell I'm talking about. Oh, you got a little bit of a problem here. I, I guess so. So I guess at some point in between just random sentences, we'll just insert like Zildjian, Constantinople crash. Like, <laughs> for no reason at all. <laughs> Evans, extra dry G2 coated. <laughs> Crack. All right. Well, let's get into it. So uh, Mike knows that uh, a few weeks ago, it was time for me to get new custom-molded in-ears, uh, IEMs, in-ear monitors. And I've, I'd had Ultimate Ears in the past. I had the UE4s, which are their entry-level custom-molded in-ears. They are dual-driver in-ears. And I had them for a little over five years. And eventually, the connecting area that connects the cable to the in-ear just kind of wore out. And I wear my in-ears more than probably anyone because I'm, I'm literally recording videos all day. I'm broadcasting videos. So I use the heck out of them. So anyways, so uh, it was time to get new ones. I got new impressions made. I went to the audiologist, got the goo shot in my ear, sent those in, and I decided I wanted to get some really nice in-ears. So um, Ultimate Ears makes a set called the UE11s, and those are specifically designed for drummers. Uh, the sale price on those is $1,150. That's, v- that's up there. That's, that's an investment. Yeah. <laughs> that's a serious investment. So I figured if I was going to get those, it was unfair to compare those to the UE4s that I'd had from five years ago. And I knew that as soon as I got the UE11s, I wouldn't be able to remember the UE4s. So I ordered a brand new pair of UE4s at the same time. So the UE4s are $399. Amber likes to remind me that that's called $400. (laughs) But in the male world, males just use the front number. So it's $399. And then um, the UE11s are $1150. So I got them both. And... The process of going of listening to them both was so not what I was expecting. Oh, yeah. I thought I'd put the UE11s in and just be blown away. Yeah, um, it was so the opposite. Huh. I put the UE11s in, and I got to hear everything that the UE4s were not showing me. Oh, including and the it ugliness. Is not yes. Uh, that's like uh, high end yes. microphones in a, in a crappy room. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. These are professional monitors for professional audiophiles that are mixing albums and are recording things the right way. And so if you are an average day-to-day drummer gigging um, in rock bands, funk bands, pop bands, cover bands, doesn't matter, and you just want to hear, you want to block out the sound, get great isolation, and hear your drums, the UE4s are the way to go. The UE4s are a dual driver in-ear monitor and so you're getting a high and a mid driver and then a low end driver. And that's about it. And and that's what they do. They just give you a nice – they cut out – there's not a lot of mids. There's not a lot of frequency response. So it just sounds good. And actually drums sound really good like that. I mean if the way that most people are going to EQ their drums anyways is they're going to drop the mids and they're going to kind of boost the lows and boost the highs. And drums sound fantastic like mm-hmm. that. The UE11s are actually quad driver. They have a high-end driver, a mid-range driver, where the UE4 is the high and the mid is one driver. So on the UE11s, it's a high driver, a mid driver, a low-end driver, and then a sub driver that is actually uh, fueled by an actual crossover. So the sub isn't always on until you need it. Um, The frequency response is actually a little insane. It actually goes all the way down to 5 hertz, which – no, that's the brown note. Um, <laughs> we don't need to explain that. But uh, uh, so five hertz up to twenty-two kilohertz. So that's more than enough. 
when you put them in your ears, both are giving you a negative 26 decibel uh, reduction. That's so that's the same as like good, good earplugs. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the the crossover thing, it, it's, it's hard to explain. But what I would say, just because I know you guys need like a simple recommendation, if you really, really care about frequencies and really care about mixing and high-end audio, the UE11s absolutely deliver. They are – I want them. Mm. They, they are the ones I'm using now. So now my UE4s are a backup pair. But I can tell you this. If you just kind of want great sound isolation and custom molded in-ears, the UE4s are fantastic. And I actually heard from a couple of people that do mixing and stuff, and they said, actually, I use the UE4s for my mixing too. So – um, the one thing that is I can tell you is the difference between the UE4s, which is their entry-level in-ears, the difference between that and then the best non-custom-molded in-ears you could ever get is night and day. Yeah, Having that sealed. Now, do you have any custom-molded in-ears? I do. I have uh, Gorilla ears. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, the different and same thing, the, the difference between those and then maybe like a high-end pair of non-custom-molded in-ears, it's not even close. Yeah, no, audio-wise, of course. No, definitely not. Because of the seal and uh, the isolation. So, definitely, what I would say, guys, is the 1150 is worth it. Um, the UE11s, it costs $1,150. Absolutely worth it. They, The quality improvement is massive, but it's not in the way that it's not fake quality. It's not like putting on Beats headphones and then you go, oh man, I can feel all the thump. It's not that. It's actually, like I said, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, is that what my toms actually sound like? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Back to the mixing board I go (laughs) and I had to remix everything because I could finally hear all the frequencies. So, so there you go. So you're, you're more crazy by $1,100 more crazy now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I know. Like I needed that. Like the, I need to listen to those low mid frequencies right around 500 hertz, a little bit more. Can I hear those? Yeah, I know. It's, it's silly. It's silly. <laughs> but, I, you know, um, the, when you listen to a fantastic album, though, yeah. oh, man, you know, put on like the Beach Boys Pet Sounds with my UE11s, uh, Spilt Milk from Jellyfish. That's like one of my favorite albums of all time. Anything from Failure. Uh, so yeah you get a good mixed album and then you can hear everything so alrighty well it's time to get to our picks of the week this is a chance for Mike and I to give you a little heads up on things that have made an impact on us sometimes it's gear sometimes it's just an album or a video so what is your pick of the week this time I mean you know, I had like four or five this week but last night I was teaching I teach just beginning students a couple a week and okay. I forgot to take my metronome with me uh, and this one student just loves to play along to the metronome for whatever reason. It keeps actually helps them concentrate better. That's awesome. Uh, so I figured rather than you know scramble out to my car to grab my Dr. Beat, I'm like, let me just Google metronome. And I had no idea that if you just Google the word metronome, a metronome pops up. But yeah, Google yeah. actually has like a web app a yep. metronome. So that's my yeah. pick of the week. If you just need a metronome and you're sitting in front of a computer, just type in the word metronome and there it is. You can it doesn't give you full control of every BPM. I think it's maybe four BPM chunks, but okay. I mean, that's I had no idea that that tool exists. So thank oh, you, Google. So cool. Web apps, <laughs> right? Changing the world. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, you could have just gone to the Groove Scribe, but it's all good. Dude. No, that's an oh, extra cool. step. <laughs> okay, good point. <laughs> good point. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, then maybe we need to make a Groove Scribe metronome that is just boom, metronome. There you go, you don't, boom. Nothing you can do with it. Uh, so my pick of the week this time is actually a video. I'm always in search of videos that kind of I can use for inspiration. 
And uh, this time it was a guy by the name of Jameson Ross, uh, who's a fantastic jazz vocalist, but he's also a drummer. He's the drummer in his group. And the video is called Seven Years, and then in quotation, or I'm sorry, in parentheses, um, as made popular by Nora Jones. So Jameson Ross, Seven Years, uh, and it's on the Concord Music Group's page. So if you just go to YouTube, type type in Jameson Ross, Seven Years, you'll find it. It is the most incredible thing you'll ever see because this guy – it's shot really, really well, and he just kind of starts tapping around on the drums and kind of singing a little bit, and then eventually he kicks into a full song, and it'll be very inspiring for you guys to see that we don't all have to play the drums the same way. Uh, the drums can be used to be melodic. You know, He's got the snares turned off, and he's got a, a jazz bop kit, and he's literally playing a full song on this drum set while singing over the top of it into this gorgeous ribbon mic. So... Check check it out, and uh, it'd be really hard not to be inspired by that. Now, have you ever heard of Jameson Ross before? No, I saw you posted that, and I had no idea what to expect. And he, you know, he starts out playing with mallets and exploring the the tones of the kit. I was like, all right, he's going to do like an Ari Honig thing, like play a melody on the drums or whatever. Yeah, but when he started singing, it's like again, like put the sticks down, man, just be a star. <laughs> just, just, yeah, just, just go travel for the voice and the wind. Just be a star. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So you did see the video? Oh yeah. Yeah, I was actually walking pretty... on my way to teach a uh, journalism course. It was like oh, it nice. was it was a nice uh, nice atmosphere walking downtown Philadelphia listening to that. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome, man. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, that wraps up episode 32. We hope that you guys have some inspiration to go take to the drum set now. We will be back next week. We try to record these on Wednesdays and get them to you by Fridays. Uh, that is our goal. And the biggest goal, most importantly, is to get you guys feeling a little bit more in the drum scene because that's what Modern Drummer has always done for me. And that's what I wanted to bring to this podcast with Mike Dawson uh, was getting you guys just to feel like you know the names and you know the gear. And now hopefully you know a little bit more about about the terminology and uh you know and if we've cost you a lot of money through our picks of the week we're really sorry no we're not you can have <laughs> we're no not we're not at all. just go ahead and have your uh, your your wives or your spouses email lashonda at modern right. hey metronome can... is free just type metronome in google okay. and there it is free that's right and jameson's video is free <laughs> so the ultimate ear ue11s will cost you 1150 so free. that might be a year's worth yeah. of uh, bar gigs for you Enter promo code MYBADDOG at checkout. <laughs> oh, we, Everyone have, we have to yeah. uh, remind people, send your questions, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We still have, Please. I think, three or four left, so keep them coming, and we'll, we'll fill up as much of the show as we can with them. Awesome. All right, buddy. Well, I will, uh, I'll talk to you next week, man. See ya. Later, brother. <laughs>